Welcome to Uninhibited, a podcast with the mission to discuss taboo, multicultural, multigenerational, and multilayered topics that matter to women. My name is Dr. Makunda Abdul-Baki. I am an Ivy League-trained OBGYN practicing medicine in rural America. I am married and raising three dynamic African-American boys. I am a mother, a career professional, a part of Generation X, and so much more. I bring to the table a true desire for social justice that informs my opinions, and my hope is that this podcast will open conversations, question beliefs, and be transformative. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Uninhibited. I'm your host, Dr. Makunda Abdul-Baki, and today I am pleased to have joining me Anita Kopesh, um, and she's um, here because of a lot of different reasons, but most of all because she's a survivor and wants to share her story. So Anita, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you so much for having me on the show. And I, I love the name, by the way, because um, it's a pretty much the definition of me. <laughs> um, so I, I am a mother of three, and I'm also a writer, a speaker, like you said, a survivor. I was molested when I was seven years old. And uh, it's been a journey. It's been a long journey trying to heal that. Um, I am also on the board of a a nonprofit called the Center for Safety and Change, who they help women who have been through any domestic violence situations or young girls who have been trafficked. They, they have a safe house, lawyers, it, they just have, everything is, is pretty much set up there to, to help people move out of these situations. I have also started a campaign called Zero F's Given, which I'm sure we'll go into. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, my, passion, my passion is to help people heal and come back into owning their own pleasure. I'm a spiritual psychologist, also a um, Tantra coach, mm-hmm. and um, I work with women to, to bring back um, their pleasure. Mm-hmm. Well, tell us a little bit, um, and, and it's good that you, everything has um, a, a place. Tell us a little bit about, because um, what I thought was interesting is that you, when we first uh, talked about um, your kind of awareness or uh, even kind of realizing that you'd been molested, it was years and years later, you were already a mother, if I remember correctly, and it was um, almost like a, a kind of a ton of bricks that fell on you. Tell us about the kind of realization um, and how did that come about? Yes, absolutely. I, um, as far as really stepping into my healing journey, I, um, so I, I was molested at seven and I didn't tell anyone for a long time. I was obviously very ashamed and I had a lot of guilt and, and 
I believe it was my daughter was my middle daughter was seven years old and um, she worked with a woman who did some cranial sacral on her and she this woman was actually in my master's program for for spiritual psychology Mm -hmm. so she knew a little bit about my background already so she asked me she was like oh has your daughter been molested and I was like I I hope not (laughs) like my whole my whole body just like froze up I'm like I hope not and she was just like she said that she was her she was holding herself as if she was a child that had been molested and then mm-hmm. she brought me into her back office and she's like hold on how old were you when you were molested and i was like i was 7 and she's like and how old is your daughter and i was like she's 7 and she was like okay all right your daughter is just extremely sensitive and she is carrying on what has happened to you so if you wow. do not heal it then she's going to go through, you know, basically go through what I've been going through. And I was like, what? And whether that was true or not, mm-hmm. it, it hit the switch on me. I was like, I need to heal this because how it was showing up in my life was that I was not enjoying sex mm-hmm. and I had three kids. So I was obviously having it, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I was not enjoying it. I wanted, you know, each time I wanted it to be over. I had so many things that happened to me with sex. I I got herpes, Mm -hmm. had three kids right in a row, Mm -hmm. and I was still um, having flashbacks from from being molested. So if my my partner had, if he tried to um, go down on me or something, you know, I'd have flashbacks and and just like, oh my God, like not want to have sex. And you know, who doesn't want someone to go down on them? You know, like I just, I had these things in my head, like, like why, why can't I enjoy it the way everyone seems to enjoy it? At that point, who had you spoken to? Like, um, because uh, when the molestation happened and you remember it first happened when you were seven and it occurred up until when? It was it was only a um, a summer in se- seven, so it was only that was year. The summer of you being seven. Um, there apparently, apparently, it did something else did happen because someone else had apologized to me, oh. but I don't I don't remember that. So that may be its own journey when it comes up. I don't know, but I don't I didn't recall it. So. So I don't know how old I was during that or anything, but, but the one that I remember was while I was seven. And so who had, you didn't tell anyone at age seven, who was the first person that you told, like, when did it become the first that you shared? The first person that I told, I actually told my two older sisters, Sharon mm-hmm. and Ivana, and I told them... I was already in college, so I it was probably like nineteen or twenty, mm-hmm. and that was the first time that the words even came out of my mouth. But I do remember, I do remember a time when I was around ten, and I was watching Oprah, and Oprah shared mm-hmm. about being molested and and in in enjoying it, like like enjoying the pleasure. Mm-hmm. And that that it that it increased that um, 
sense of guilt and shame. Yes. And, and I just remember turning red and feeling like everyone knew because that was, that was a huge part of it is that I, I enjoyed it. And the last time that it happened, I asked him to do it, do it to mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. And so I really, at that point, that's, that's when I took on all of it. Right. I'm yes. like, yeah, it's, I did it. It was my fault. You know, I'm definitely not saying anything. I'm dirty. Mm-hmm. And, and it, I was pretty much after that, a very late bloomer. Like I just cut myself off of any, any pleasure. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I didn't want, <laughs> I didn't want to kiss any boys or, you know what I mean? Like it just, mm-hmm. I just pretty much cut everything out. Um, what, when, in again, so it was only because the, the therapist that you were taking your then seven-year-old at that point, as you became more of an adult, like, um, had you told your husband, like you, you told your, your colleague that you were, that was in classroom with you about it. So had you begun to start telling more people? So, so yes, the, the, the colleague that I told that was, that was later on in life. I had already had my three kids that was, Mm -hmm. I did my master's a little bit later. Mm -hmm. So I, I began to start speaking of it. Um, I, I told my mom in my late twenties and my dad, I would say this was about maybe two years before the me too movement. And I just felt like I had to just say it. Like it felt like it was something that, that was, that was boiling inside of me that just needed to come out. And so I put it onto my social media and I just, I, I said it, I said, this is what happened to me. And, you know, I had, I was still feeling a lot of shame at that time. And it was very new to, (laughs) to say to so many people. And I forgot that I hadn't told my dad. Oh, and so that's how he found out. And, you know, my oldest sister was like, uh, I think you need to call dad. Mm-hmm. And it was really, I called him and, and he has a thick Polish accent. It's pretty funny. He was like, you know, I was like, hey, dad, oh, well, how are you doing? And he said, you know, trying to act normal. Mm-hmm. And I was like, listen, dad, I know that you know what happened to me. And he's like, oh, well, you know, I'm just a failure. And I was like, no, you're not a failure. And he's like, no, I am exactly a failure because my only thing that I wanted to do in life is to protect you. Mm-hmm. And it, it was hard for me to explain at that point because where I am now, it all feels like a blessing and not the type of blessing of, oh, I want this to happen to someone else. Of course not. But it's, yeah. But it is a blessing of, of like, the way it has shaped my life, the way it it has given me passion and compassion mm-hmm. and just so I have, I've gotten and a so heart for the gifts. work that you do because exactly. if it hadn't have happened to you, perhaps you wouldn't have the empathy that you have for all of these abused girls and women. So I understand what you mean as far as um, taking your pain and, and turning it into your power. Exactly. Yeah. I totally I totally get what you're saying. But um 
so, and I totally understand how your father felt. We had talked about this um, also because it's the same way I feel as a parent that your your one job, like, you know, really, if you're taking parenting seriously, your one job is not not maybe to have the most fun, you know, with your kids or be the smartest parent, but sometimes it really does seem like your one job is to protect them. Yes. And when you find out that somehow you, you, you didn't do it, you, you missed it, um, that something happened on, on your watch, um, there's got to be uh, an incredible feeling of guilt and shame and remorse and uh, the feeling of, of being a failure because he wasn't able to protect you. But, um, you know, certainly we should all know the statistics um, that one out of six uh, boys are sexually molested and one out of three girls. Um, and those are only reported numbers. So exactly know that the numbers are most likely um, a lot higher, but just reported means that uh, a third of, uh, of, the, of the women you see walking down the street have had some form of a similar story. And as an OBGYN, I can definitely attest to that, that if I scratch the surface um, and begin to talk to someone about any of these issues, I would almost say it's, it's bordering more to 50 to 60%. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I most of them that. have the same um, story uh, along the lines that um, they didn't tell anyone. Um, and you said even at seven, you had these conflicting feelings um, that there was some pleasure derived in it. If you could think back to that summer when you were seven, were there any grooming behaviors, anything that um, you would uh, say now like, oh, this is, you know, like, because he was older also, he wasn't seven. How old was he? approximately he was probably around 17 okay so so not not quite an adult but old enough to know to me he's he was an adult he was six foot as far as I knew he felt like an adult but but now I I think um you know he was still a teenager Mm -hmm. um not that that makes it any better but it was it was I I've seen pictures of that summer where I'm standing next to him Mm -hmm. and you know it does it looks like a man and a child I don't I don't remember um any grooming anything that I would think was was grooming but he he was he he is in my family And so there was, we're all, we're very close. And so there's a lot of love and, you know, we spent a lot of time together. So, so perhaps, perhaps there was, um, eventually when I, when I did talk to him, because, um, when I was, when I was training for, um, to, to, to be a Tantra coach, my Tantra coach at the time, um, Sam Isadora, who has now passed, but she's just absolutely amazing. She 
asked me, you know, have you talked to him? And I was like, no, I have not talked to him about this. And she's like, she's like, you need to, that's a part of your healing. Basically had me get my phone and text him right there. I was like, I don't have his number. And she was like, he's on Facebook. She basically made me text him. And that night I had one of the most powerful conversations. He said, he's been waiting to have this conversation with me. He has tried to apologize and I pretended mm-hmm. that I didn't remember. Okay. And he just, it was, he said he has been waiting to have this conversation with me. He had seen everything that I was doing with, with um, my healing because I was sharing the process online. Mm-hmm. And um, he shared with me that at seven, he was molested mm-hmm. by an, an older person. And he said, perhaps that's how his lines were blurred. Um, he, he was like, you know, I'm not trying to, to give any excuses, but perhaps this is how my lines were blurred. And it, it was, for me, it was very empowering because, because anytime that I'm, anytime that I'm around him, I would turn into the scared seven-year-old again. Okay. And so this conversation made me feel like, okay, I'm the grown woman that I am. And I'm having this conversation and I'm understanding what you're saying. And we're, we're able to give each other, you know, I was able to tell him how my life had been affected by this, these, these few moments that happened, which, which again, I feel is such, such just a deep thing to look at that for for one moment, even if it just happened once, how for 40 years, I'm still working on it. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, these things, um, they take a hold of us. And it's certainly interesting that he's identified his own history of abuse. And it just reminds me of a saying that hurt people hurt people. And so we've got to figure out a way to to break the cycle and we have to give our kids the language of of being able to talk about it um because there's just so many ways that a person can take advantage of a child that you can't necessarily even i don't know uh how would you be able to describe every particular way to a child on a level that they would understand? Yeah. Um, and, and so it just, it's, it's difficult for the parent to try to figure out ways to protect their child. Um, what I do like um, is that I'm, and I, I've shared it with patients also is that um, I like the movement that I'm seeing of, children being autonomous because yes i um i definitely remember being forced to to kiss or hug different uncles and mm-hmm. nothing that um any nothing untoward happened uh to me by one of those uncles but um i just remember like you know one uncle had like just this really bristly beard and 
I didn't want to hug or, you know, kiss him on the cheek or even just because of the, 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 the beard. But yeah. um, nowadays, at least um, what I'd like to um, propose to anyone in the listening audience, don't force your kids to kiss uncles or aunties or anyone um, mm-hmm. if the child's natural inclination is to hug someone is to kiss someone then let them do that if your child's natural inclination is to do a handshake you know obviously we we're not interested in raising anyone that's rude or doesn't acknowledge someone else in the room so if all your child wants to do is say hello good evening then that's really all you should um ask your child to do because when we start to take away their autonomy and their control of their body we let a lot of demons in we Mm -hmm. we open the door to them not really understanding what's going on with their body what someone else is doing to their body but if if each child can know that they are sovereign over their body and and who they choose to give emotion to, um, then that's then we're winning. Exactly, and I've noticed a lot with the with the younger generation since I've been sharing my experience. There's it, they they almost cannot conceive of the fact that I would not say something right, and I I understand when adults say that I'm like you know like what do you mean. like you should understand but when the younger generation says that to me I feel like I I feel like this is beautiful because they would say something right Mm -hmm. like there's 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 so many more opportunities and they see they've seen me too they've seen time's up and you know hopefully they're seeing zero f's given so they're seeing people speaking up for themselves and for for them and and so i know for my kids they they you know, they they know because i also did a documentary called touched that um i i made them watch which was about you know my healing from this and so they're 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 very aware of everything because i don't hide it from them mm-hmm. and and um, it would be interesting to see, you know, what, what they think about it. But, you know, for me, they're just, you know, they're like, Oh, my mom's so, <laughs> my mom's so open. She talks about everything, you know? <laughs> and that's, that's awesome. That's, I think, you know, that's the only way to be, to, to keep, to be honest, to be authentic, because if you let them see your flaws and you're let down your guard and let them understand that you've experienced pain and, and mm-hmm. joy and that you're still a work in progress. You, yeah. I think the hope is that they won't feel so confused if something happens to them or exactly. feel that they've disappointed you or let themselves down or, or any of those emotions because um, the guilt um you said, uh, and the guilt and the shame ended up affecting your relationships in the long term. Mm, yes, yeah, it, yeah, and and that's the one thing with my with my partner now. He he has been so amazing through this process. 
uh, he's, he's gone through this whole healing process with me. And especially the time when I, when I didn't want to have sex because for him, what he had shared with me was that, was that he equated sex to love. So if I was not having sex with him, he felt like I did not love him. Mm -hmm. And it was a very deep process for him. Like if I, if I, um, if I rejected him or uh, it, we, we laugh about it because we said it would be a standoff in bed. Right. You know, I turned my back. There's a lot of ways we know how to get our point across. Yeah. And so um, he's definitely happy that I've um, cleared those, which, which I didn't even think would be a possibility to the fact that, that sex and pleasure and lovemaking is like a playground to me, for me is mm-hmm. I did not even think that was a possibility. And so that's actually one of the reasons why I have such passion for this because I know I'm not the only woman who doesn't want to have sex. I, and I've worked with many women who, who are in sexless marriages and relationships. And, and it's when we... A lot of a lot of the time they don't like to come out first talking about what the major issue is. So so I even though I do push and if so, okay if you talk to some of my <laughs> my clients they might say that you know I do bring people to the edge, but <laughs> I don't push them off. You know okay. I get them ready to jump on their own, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, but I but I'm like you know you came to me for a reason, and and one of the one of the major things i think that gets women back into that is learning how to self pleasure learning how to um love yourself on your own without even a partner first mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. because sometimes women are even too ashamed to do that and or i'm i'm, I'm saying women but sometimes anybody <laughs> yeah yeah and but I, I do work with mostly women. So tell us so that we can a little bit understand your your pathway to healing because um, and I know it's not linear. Um, mm-hmm. There's you know a lot of circular and looping back and forth. But share with the listeners once you made the acknowledgement, you were there with your your daughter's therapist, and you were like, wow, if somehow psychically she's feeling my seven-year-old pain yeah i don't want this to continue i don't want um this to be a legacy in my family so i'm making a conscious decision to change um yes. or to, to heal to to try to figure out how to heal what so what did that look like so what i did at that moment was I, I felt in my heart that this wasn't just for me. And so I decided to document it, do, do, you know, the, the, the documentary. And at that time, one of my friends was working with this man named um, Christopher Mayer. He works out in California and he works with a lot of women who have who have gone through sexual trauma, and he does it through uh, finding the trauma in your body 
and working it out. I had, I had already done talk therapy for many years and got to a certain place of being able to, to talk about it, but, but it didn't help me have, you know, like I was, it was still in my body. I would still have flashbacks, all the things that I had told you before. Mm -hmm. And, and so I was like, all right, I'm going to do this a different route, you know, like, because just the talk therapy is, is getting me to a point. Right. But Mm -hmm. it wasn't, I didn't feel like, like, I didn't feel like I was healed. Mm -hmm. And, and so I, I told my sister, this is, this is really, really interesting. I told my sister, I, you know, I told her exactly how I wanted the documentary to look. And I was like, and at the end, I am going to be painted by a, um, you know, a person who is, who is a healing body painter, who, who paints women who have gone through sexual trauma and that, that the, you know, basically they paint them at the end of their, their process. And, and I don't know, I was making something up. Right. And yes. was like, does that even exist? And I was like, <laughs> no, I have no idea if that exists, <laughs> but that's what I see. And uh-huh. maybe two weeks later, it was my birthday and I had hired um, a henna artist mm-hmm. to come do henna on all my guests. And she fell in love with all of us, right? Ended up staying with us. And we had like this circle at the end where we were just sharing. And do you know, at the end of the night, this is hours into the night, she says, I know I was doing henna for you guys, but what I really do, what my passion is that I do body paint and I paint women who have gone through sexual trauma. Mm-hmm. And I have chills on my body right now because I yeah, just looked because, at my sister yeah. and I was like, "This li- we spoke it into existence. existence. Yes. I'm a true believer of that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so my, my journey was with, you know, he, um, Christopher did the, the first few weeks, right, of, of the healing journey. So is and, this, at this point, were you in a retreat type format? Like you No, know? I was not. What we were doing, because he works, in, he works in L.A. and New York, so he does two weeks in New York and two weeks in L.A. Home base is L.A., but okay. still he, he does he, two, I can't remember if it's one week or two weeks in New York. And so for a few months, we would meet when he would, when he would come to New York. To New York. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, you know, I had. Um, and what were those sessions like? So the sessions, the, the first part um, was just talk, right? Like he, he spoke with me and he's, he was just basically, what that does is, is kind of lay the groundwork, um, try to um, get me to trust his presence. He mm-hmm. says, you know, he was saying that um, that for a lot of women who have gone through this, even if they just walk in a room and there's men in a room, they close up, mm-hmm. and which is which is very true. Like I would, you know, uh, even and and it wasn't you wouldn't necessarily know that I was closed up because I wouldn't, I, I, I can still talk and speak and, you know, but, but I'm like, I can feel my heart like, uh, uh-uh. <laughs> don't try to yeah, go. There's a whole me. bunch of inner talk that's going on because I didn't, I've only known you for the past couple of months, but 
I feel like, you know, you're just a very open, gregarious, easy to laugh, easy to smile type of person that would normally bring a crowd around her. But even if you're able to do that, you, you still may have some inner talking that's telling you a lot of different things. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so he started off with that. And then um, this was actually when I really remembered that I had asked um, to, for, for the person to um, do it to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I say do it, it was, um, it was oral sex. That's what mm-hmm. his thing was with me. Mm-hmm. And so, so Christopher was going through all, I was laying down and he was going through different parts of my body, pressing on different points. And he was saying, when he finds a place that has the trauma, it's going to feel almost like a bee sting. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And he went through from the top of my head all the way down. And I'm thinking, oh gosh, he's not finding anything, right? And then mm-hmm. he gets down to my toes. Mm-hmm. And in between my toes, he pressed on that. And it felt, it did. It felt like a bee sting. And I like, moved, my, like I pulled my foot away. And he's like, no, no, that's it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, you know, like I don't want you to touch that. Mm-hmm. And so then he pushed on it. And literally I felt like I was transported back oh um and i feel a bit emotional right now but i was transported back and it almost thought like a movie screen in front of me Mm -hmm. and i was just just little seven-year-old and i i you know asked him to go down on me Mm -hmm. and it it was extremely pleasurable and um and i remember after it was done that i'm never going to do that again mm-hmm. and um would would completely avoid the situation you know like at that point i decided to you know protect myself but it was it was in that moment that i actually really remembered that part and mm-hmm. that that's probably where so much of my so much of the guilt and shame came from Mm -hmm. and um so so after he was able to find that um he worked it out like literally i don't know like he was pressing on it and and kind of like massaging into it and then all of a sudden the whole scene just kind of turned white like it faded to white Mm -hmm. and that was kind of his beginning of clearing the trauma um after that, he had given me certain stretches and moves and exercises to do to keep, I, I, I believe it's to keep the movement within my body so that I don't, uh, um, I don't recreate that trauma, mm-hmm. I believe. Mm-hmm. And um, so then after that, after we went through our, um, our sessions, I then did the body paint and it was extremely intense. I, every time she painted by my heart chakra or my, my second chakra, which is where um, the sexual energy is stored. Mm -hmm. um, I, 
I got extremely nauseous and apparently I was turning white and mm-hmm. couldn't stand up. And I was like, what is happening? Why is this so vis? Like, I didn't think it was going to be so visceral. I didn't know I was going to feel so many things physically. Right. I was like, mm-hmm. okay, emotionally, I was prepared for the emotions. Yeah. <laughs> I was not prepared for what was going to happen to my body. And, um, it, it was, it did. It felt like I was having, going through birth the way that, that you have the, you have the contractions, right? And then they go away and you feel normal again, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what it felt like. It was like intense, intense, and then it was gone. So it was confusing. I'm like, what is happening? And, and after I did this process was when I um, went and I trained, I did my Tantra training. So it was a very intense few years of really concentrating on that. And while I was doing that, I was the editor-in-chief of Heart and Soul. So I was sharing some of it in the magazine um, because I, I wanted the process to be shared. And, and I, always say, I always say, oh, I left Heart and Soul to do sex work. <laughs> <laughs> but I did eventually leave because I, I wanted to work with, with people exclusively on on this and and so I took on my um, private clients and I started doing retreats with with uh, four other women around the world called the we're called the council and what I work what what I do with women um, is is basically like a pleasure immersion so we work with any trauma and we bring back the pleasure basically what the work that I've done. Okay. What do you think the healing process would have looked like if, if, if it had started earlier, if, if it had been when you were younger or like, is, I'm just imagining that like anything, um, trauma, becomes more aggressive or more severe the longer it lasts like like a cancer like i mean mm-hmm. if i um can take care of something when it's precancerous we almost don't have to worry about it we can do surveillance but um i got it while it was precancerous before it became cancer um yeah. and so i I'm, I'm assuming that probably the the trauma healing is much the same yeah, I I bet it is. I I can't even conceptualize what that would be like, especially in in that era. I feel mm-hmm. like now we're more equipped to work with children in that mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. There was so much um people just hit it. It was happening in people's families. I guess what I'd like to ask um you know, Anita very emotional, very um, joyous that you were able to identify and to heal. Um, But on, you know, how would someone with uh, significantly less resources than yourself be able to, what would your suggestions be for first? Because obviously the issue around um, sexual abuse and sexual trauma um, cuts across all socio demographics, and yes. unfortunately, 
our poorer brothers and sisters just have it hard both ways because they've got the economic and they've got the um, emotional, you know, exactly. Stars. Are there programs that are set up that are kind of sliding scale or like what, you know, what's out there if you can't meet him in New York or LA? Yeah. So, so actually the center for safety and change, although they are, although they are in Rockland County, New York, they, they are able to service anyone who wants, who needs to call in. If you, if you need a counselor and you want to talk through someone, you can call their hotline. I think, you know, I can send that to you so that you Yeah, can... we will list that in the um, show notes. Um, okay. The center, repeat the name of the center? The Center for Safety and Change. Okay. And they're in, they're in New City, New York. They are, um, they, they have amazing counselors where, where you can have a full on session with a counselor, you, you know, a session that might cost 250 or 500, you know, with anyone else you can have with, with, on their hotline. If you're in a situation where, where you need to leave where you are, you feel unsafe. Um, they also have a safe house. They, they do take people from, from anywhere. So if you are outside of New York, what would happen is that you would, I mean, first you would just find safety, but then, um, there's, there's something that happens on the back end where, where your, your state would be able to pay, um, the center for safety and change. So you wouldn't have to pay anything anyway. You could, you could still go there, but I believe that in, in many major cities there, there are, um, places that could help you. Uh, well, that's good to know. Cause I just, we want to, um, be a resource for, for every and anybody. And as again, I, I know that it's happening to just too many children. What, what do you think is the most important thing about breaking the cycle? Like, because it, it does seem, you know, something happened to him. He was abused. He abused you. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously because of healing and therapy, have stopped the cycle, but it's going on for so many other people. What, what is it that we as a society could do differently? What, like, just, uh, what are some of your yeah. thoughts around that? I think, I think that the speaking up is huge mm -hmm. because, because I, I, even, even within my family, which I have a huge family, it is, it, I know that it, it stopped, right? Like it was, it was like, you know, like, oh shit, <laughs> what is Anita saying? She's, you know, like our secret is out. Like it just was, it's just, it's, it is very revealing. And I feel like if we're not afraid to speak about it and then also be, a, be ready to do the work, because when you speak about it, if you haven't spoken about it before, it's going to open a floodgate of emotions of, you know, whatever was, was clogged up within you is now, now needing to be healed. And so, um, 
you can, like we said before, call the hotline of for Center for Safety and Change or any hotline that is available in your city. But I feel like the speaking up and the believing, mm-hmm. believe anybody believing. because nobody's going to lie about that shit. Mm-hmm. Nobody, nobody wants, nobody wants that to be their story. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, that is true. <laughs> that is that is true. And I can't. Well, who knows? Maybe someone might if they if they have issues if they have some deep issues. But to I feel like nobody really wants that to be their story. So believing people, um, being a listening ear, mm-hmm. and. This, it, you know, saying to speak about it, it sounds easy enough, but it's such, it is so hard. Like when people, when I don't feel like people say it as much, but I know they used to say, oh, well, why did it take you so long to say something? (laughs) There are so many layers that we go through. And I think most people want to forget it. Because that's, that's the way that seems easier, right? Because this, this was a good quote unquote derailment for you. Cause as you said, you left heart and soul to, to work on yourself (laughs) to, 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 and, and this has become your life's work and it, and it feeds you. But, um, you know, for someone else, like, you know, you you've spent x amount of years you've become a lawyer and now there's this this like nagging thing in the back of your head do you kind of do you you know do you say it do you talk about it who cares mm-hmm. about what happened when to you when you were 7 you're you're 40 odd years old like there's definitely a lot of again self talk that would mm-hmm. keep you from saying it and even more so with men i'm happy to see that there's more being published about men, um, especially men that have been abused by women. Um, yeah. So I've been reading more about that because for so long we raised boys to think that any sex from anybody that they can get it is that it's good. a score. Yeah. Exactly. That, yeah. So the you know the the slightly older than you teacher, you're 16, she's 22. Yeah, go for it. But it's not that simple. And men are actually coming up and talking about how conflicted it's made them feel. Um, and again, uh, about the, um, the, the, the lack of love for themselves, the lack of love that they're able to give women in their future relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, this shit really stays around if you don't talk about it. And I think talking about it takes away some of the power that it has on you. And, um, and so it's a good beginning. So tell us to wrap up about the zero F's campaign so that people can get on board with that. Absolutely. So um, zero F's campaign is a campaign that I created. It, it's, it's a t-shirt campaign and there's also sweatshirts and tank tops um, that, that is, is literally, yes, yes. I know. I love your picture. <laughs> so it's, it's literally a day of giving zero Fs. And that day is, is 
the actual ZFG day is, is June 7th. And what that day is, is um, a day of literally giving no Fs. So of a day of abstinence, sexual abstinence, in honor of anyone who has ever experienced sexual violence. And, and on that day, we are having a yoga-thon on, on Times Square and doing a mass meditation. And in that mass meditation, we are sending healing energy to anyone around the world who has experienced that, who has experienced sexual violence. And there, there, there will also be performances and speakers. Um, to me, it's, it's really about the celebration a, a celebration, like I, 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 I want to say I don't want it to be heavy, but anytime I do t- this type of work, no matter how light I try to make it, there is, there is a, there is a deep heaviness and darkness that is, that is coming to the light, right? So, mm-hmm. but, but people are still feeling that. So we will have um, a row of counselors from the Center for Safety and Change. If anyone does get triggered, or if anyone does need to speak to someone we will have that there and um and the 80 percent of the proceeds of the shirts go to the center for safety and change to help families directly and i'm just i'm really excited about it and and when you were talking about um the the statistics for men i i had no idea that they were that high until um uh Tony Porter, he started a call to men and he shared that number with me, uh, with, with the group of us that it was that high for men. Um, I think he had said one in seven and again, and only reported. So we know and then, oh, exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, then I, I think of my son, I think of all the little boys that I know and, um, what he said, what's, what is, what is, um, unique with with boys is that um, the highest number of those happen between one and eighteen, mm-hmm. age one and eighteen, yeah. and for for women it's all of our lives up until we're old. Um, it's not it's not contained to um, our childhood, and I, I I was I was floored though I had no idea that it was that many men that have experienced that yeah and so uh, again with us being able to talk about it and stress the openness then hopefully that it creates a space for for all of us to heal because um it's just so terribly important and so yeah unfortunately the numbers are that high but i'm impressed and i'm empowered and I am uh, just really happy that we got time to talk and to share and I definitely want to have you back on to talk more about reclaiming sexual joy. um, Absolutely. uh, Tantric um, teachings. Yes. um, For what you, um, you know, shared with us today, I'm just really encouraged because you broke the cycle and Mm. that's, and so, you know, it it really, that ripple in the pond begins with you. So now you broke the cycle, your three kids are going to be so much more 
open, they will probably help some of their classmates, Mm -hmm. um, you know, because they know the language, they know what's good touch and what's bad touch. They understand so much more than you or me understood um, growing up. So Mm -hmm. it just um, leaves me very hopeful for the future that there might be a future where we hurt children a little bit less. Yes. <laughs> you know? Please. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> I, there was one thing that I, the one thing that I wanted to say, um, you know, when I, when I say speak up and say something, it doesn't have to be publicly. Okay. That's how I chose to do it. Mm-hmm. But if you have, if you have, you know, a close friend or a, a psychologist or a counselor, or a coach, the, that that actually helps as well, you know, like just speaking to them and allowing it to come out in that way. And if you feel called to share it publicly, please do, because that is, that, it, you know, so many people find strength in that, like if you do feel like you have the strength to share it that way but you don't have to, you know, like that. You, it doesn't have to be shared on such a, such a large level if, um, if that's not what feels right. And I'm not saying if it's not, if it doesn't feel comfortable because none of this shit feels, feels yeah. comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not sure if I can cuss on your thing, but it, none of it feels comfortable. No, but it's, it's, it's so important. And so um, I, you know, I hear what you're saying. You chose to do it public. Just being able to find one person that will believe you, one person that will hear you and hopefully help you. Um, You know, there's been people that, um, again, I see it as a physician, but I've also known uh, guidance counselors to play uh, a pivotal role in getting um, children help. Because, you know, let's face it, not every child has a home where they're listened to, unfortunately. And yes. so they may not have the the safety net at home, but um, hopefully whether they go to a guidance counselor, whether they go to, uh, uh, they're able to call that uh, hotline that we're going to have in the, the liner notes, but whoever that you call or talk to, Talk to someone. That's what we mean by speaking out. Talk to someone and um, and begin the process um, of reclaiming your body and healing. So thank you so much, Anita, for sharing and look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this latest episode of Uninhibited. You can find more episodes to download at iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. You can also continue the conversation at uninhibited.community on Facebook, where you can like us and share. And you can continue chatting on Instagram at uninhibited.podcast. Special shout out to Trap Quilo for the beats.